Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. If you would like to give back to our podcast and help ensure its production for years to come, you can make a one-time donation at livinghour.org slash donate. Thank you. Today's reading was edited and adapted from How the Mind Works by Christian D. Larson, published in 1912. The person who gives much, receives much. This we all know. But the question is what it means to give. When we speak of giving, we usually think of charity and poverty. And believing that the latter is inevitable, we conclude that the former must be an exalted virtue. But poverty is not inevitable. It is not a part of life's plan. It is simply a mistake. Therefore, charity cannot be otherwise than a temporary remedy. And such remedies, though good and necessary, do not always constitute virtues. Because virtue is permanent and part of continuous advancement in the individual. The person who gives in charity does not receive anything in return, unless they also give of themselves. It is therefore not the giving of things that brings reward, but the giving of life. But to give much life, one must possess much life, and to possess much life one must live a larger measure of life. According to natural law, life is measured out to us with the same measure that we employ in the measuring of our own existence. In other words, we will receive only as much life as our own measure can hold. But it is not only life that is measured out to us in this way. Everything that pertains to life is measured in a similar way. We conclude, therefore, that the one who sets out a large measure to be filled will receive a large measure full, and that the one who gives of themselves simply offers their own life for further enrichment. The person who gives much of themselves will be abundantly enriched because they place in life a large measure of themselves to be filled. The one who gives things may lose all that is given, but the one who gives of themselves, the best that is in themselves, loses nothing. Instead, they gain a larger and a richer self. To have an abundance of life is to have the power to help yourself and to recreate your own world according to your highest desires. The gift of life is therefore the highest gift. It is also the largest gift because it includes all gifts. The person who gives life does not give to relieve poverty, but to build strong souls. And when strong souls appear, poverty disappears of itself. To give one's life is to express in thought, word, or action 
everything of worth that one may possess in mind or soul, that is, everything that one may live for. And how much we live for depends upon how largely the life is measured in our understanding. When we measure life largely, life will give us a large measure of itself. When we blend consciousness with the universal, we will receive universal consciousness in return. When we think only of the boundless, our thought will be limited no more. When we take a larger measure of our talents, the wisdom that fills the universe will also fill that larger measure. When we take a large measure of humanity and have faith in the superior side of every mind, every mind will give to us as much as our measure of that mind can hold. Realizing these great facts, we should dwell constantly in the world of greater possibilities. We should expect much, work for much, live for much, have faith in much, and we shall find that as much will come to us as we have thought, lived and worked for. We should never limit anything nor anyone. The measure of all things should be as large as our conscious comprehension. And we should refuse to be contented with anything except that which is constantly enlarging its measure. Accordingly, we should live for great things and press on. Thus, the greater and the greater will surely be measured out in return. This is the law, and it cannot fail. Very few, however, apply this law, and that is the reason why the majority accomplish so little. They undertake little and never reach the high places, because they nearly always aim at the low ones. Many minds that aim high for a while, lose their lofty aspirations later on because they fail to reach the mountain top the first week, or the first year. Others again aspire to the high things, though at the same time think of themselves as limited, insignificant, and even worse. But if we would become great, we must blend all through with greatness, and measure ourselves with that measure that is large enough to contain all the greatness we can possibly conceive of. We do not get power, growth, or ability by trying to cram things into a small mind, but by trying to expand the mind. And to expand the mind, we must take the largest possible view of all things. We must live with the limitless and blend all thought with infinite thought. When the senses declare you cannot do this, Reply by saying, It is in me to do it, therefore I can. While the person is working with the limitations of the present, the mind should transcend those limitations and constantly take larger measures of both life and attainment. And as soon as this larger measure is taken, 
the larger will begin to appear, until even the person is called upon to enter a larger work with increased remuneration. Make yourself worthy, and greater worth will come to you. Take a larger measure of your own capacity, your own ability, your own worth. Expect more of yourself. Have more faith in yourself. And that something that supplies everybody will completely fill your measure. It is the law that no matter how large your measure will be, it will be filled. And your measure of things is as large as your conscious realization of those things. Anyone can make their life as large as they wish it to be, and can bring into their life as much of everything as they may desire. Remember that your desire for growth your effort to promote growth must be constant. This law, however, is frequently neglected, as it is the tendency of nearly every person to lean back, fold arms, and suspend all desire and every effort whenever a victory has been won or an onward step taken. But we can never afford to stop or to suspend action at any time. And what is more, it is impossible to suspend action. We cannot stop living, therefore we cannot stop thinking. And so long as we think, some part of our being will act, and that part should act with some definite goal in view. When you leave the field of action to rest, so to speak, you permit that part of your being that does act to act aimlessly. And aimless actions always produce perversions, false states, and detrimental conditions. Aimless action is the fundamental cause of all the ills that appear in life. And aimless action is caused by the attempt to stop all action when we try to rest. To prevent aimless action, the ego should guide action to the mental or spiritual plane whenever rest demands suspension of activity on the physical plane. It has been demonstrated conclusively that the body rests most perfectly when some constructive action takes place in mind or soul. And it is for this reason that the first day of the week, Sunday, has been consecrated to the spiritual life. By giving this day entirely to higher thought and the contemplation of the finer things of life, the body and mind will recuperate so perfectly that you can do more work and far better work during the coming week than ever before. Not simply because you have properly rested mind and body, but also because you have through your higher devotions, awaken new life, more life, and higher, stronger powers. The principle that the body rests most perfectly when consciousness is actively at work on some higher plane is a principle that should receive your most thorough attention. 
and every person should adopt some system of living by which this principle can be carried out completely in every detail. Such a system of living will prolong the life of your body, increase the power of your mind, and remarkably unfold your soul. Therefore, to live according to this principle, your desire for growth and your effort to promote growth must be constant. In addition, your desire for growth must be constructive, because no action is constructive unless it is prompted by the desire for growth. And every effort to promote growth must be constant, because efforts that do not aim at growth are destructive, while suspended efforts cause aimless action. When you feel that a certain faculty through which you have been acting, needs recuperation. Withdraw action from that faculty and begin to act through another faculty, expressing through this other faculty all the desire for growth that you can possibly create. Or when you feel that the physical plane needs recuperation, act upon the mental one, when both mental and physical planes require recuperation, enter the spiritual and express there your desire for soul growth. Then, whenever you express your desire for growth, do something to promote that growth. Use what methods you possess, and gradually you will evolve better and more effective methods. As you apply all these ideas, your consciousness will constantly expand. Development will be constantly taking place in some part of your being, and you will be improving in some way every minute. In addition, you will prevent all aimless action and all retarded growth. Every part of your system will receive proper rest and recuperation whenever required. And this will mean complete emancipation, because all ills come from aimless action, retarded growth, and their consequences. It will also mean greater achievements and higher attainments, because all your faculties will improve steadily and surely, and your entire system will be at its best under every circumstance. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. Get your own private feed to our podcast with full transcripts delivered right to your smartphone by becoming our patron today. It costs less than a cup of coffee a month and will ensure the production of our podcast for years to come. Visit livinghour.org slash patron. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.